So, welcome. Great to have you both. As a part of our panel, I know there are some people who are very excited when they heard that you were going to be our Q&R responders today, so uh, it's very, very good. Uh, we do these Q&R Sundays on a regular basis uh, for a few reasons. One is because uh, we hopefully are a healthy community where we are asking lots of questions. Uh, if you have been following Jesus for any amount of time, you recognise that uh, it can be complex and there are all sorts of different things. It's like, how does this work exactly and what's this like? Uh, and in a healthy family, there's an opportunity to be able to do that. Uh, it's actually very dangerous when we get to a place where we feel like we can't ask questions uh, or we're not allowed to ask questions or challenge things. Uh, that's how cults are formed and we don't want to be a cult. So we uh, like to model that it's okay for us to be able to ask questions and to work through things uh, together. Um, but we also just want to recognise that it is complex and uh, we call it Q&R because this isn't about us having all the answers and saying, look at how clever we are. It is about us being able to say, hopefully there are some good responses that continue to help you to think things through. Uh, not this is the definitive answer, uh, but we hope that this will help us to be able to continue to process things together in community. And so with that in mind, we want to say that uh, if one of the questions that we respond to today is yours and you want to dig into that further, we're very happy to have some more conversations about that. In fact, we would encourage it. Uh, and if this sparks other questions for you, totally fine to send in some more questions while this is all going on. So uh, if there's either questions related to the things that we're talking about or completely separate questions, uh, then you can feel free to text those through. My number will be up on the screen all the way through. And so you can feel free to send them through as we go. We are going to do things slightly different uh, this time. Uh, normally we have a whole bunch of questions and try to respond to as many as we can in kind of 25 or 30 minutes, which we generally fail at sticking to. Uh, but this time we're going to just respond to three questions and each of us is going to take a turn uh, responding to one of those questions, but then some opportunities for others to chip in around that as well. And uh, so we are very conscious of time with that. And so if anyone does want to set a timer to say we have a 10-minute limit on the questions and then send a buzzer, we did toss that around. We are going to keep an eye on the clock. Uh, but feel free, if you feel like it's dragging on, just like, Meh, that's enough. <laughs> I'm sure that'll be fine. <laughs> so uh, first question, which Tammy, uh, this question was actually sent in directly for Tammy to hopefully respond to. So she's going to respond first, but then we'll chip in around it. Is this, what's next for Christian feminists? Individually or collectively, what should we or could we be focusing on to promote gender equality and challenge oppression in society, church, or home? So nice, easy one to just go wander into. So away you go. <laughs> All right. So um, I feel like this question is coming in the middle of a conversation, so I thought I'd just explain the rest of the conversation. Um, so... Quite some time ago, um, I, I wrote some stuff about Christianity and feminism and have sort of continued thinking that through. Um, and in many ways, I was just writing it to work through my own issues um, uh, because I felt that there was this, like the term Christian feminist. Some people would think that's an oxymoron. And I think that there a, a, can be a suspicion from Christians towards feminism and sometimes it comes back the other way. Um, but my kind of experience of the world, particularly when I went to uni and encountered some feminist theory, was of thinking, gosh, I think this kind of makes sense of the world. I looked around at the world, I thought my experience of being a woman in the world is that things are not quite right. And so I understand what feminism is trying to do. 
Um, but I was also a bit sort of uh, confused about why Christians thought that that was not something that we were on about. Because, you know, we're Christians, we believe that it's a fallen world, we believe there's sin in the world, and we believe that things are kind of not right in a lot of different ways. Um, and, you know, when you read the Bible, there are, you know, a whole lot of women being treated absolutely appallingly. Um, and, I mean, there are some good things that happen to women as well. <laughs> but, uh, but when those appalling things happen to women, they never happen as sort of part of God's plan. They are almost always an example of the people of God's unfaithfulness. And so I looked at it and thought, well, hang on, I, I don't know what we're... You know, there's some common ground here. And certainly in the Bible, um, you know, we see that, uh, that, that there's great dignity which is given to women, that um, men and women together are to be part of God's flourishing in the world. And I, I thought, hang on, dignity and flourishing? Well, feminism's on about these kind of things as well. And so I thought there was a great deal of overlap and wanted to explore that more. Uh, which is not to say, you know, I don't think Christians can get on board with every form of feminism or whatever, but I, I thought it was worth looking at. So, that's kind of the story so far. Then the question is, uh, what's next gender equality? Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> I'm going to say something slightly controversial here and then hopefully unpack it. The question says, what do we do to promote gender equality? And um, I want to say, I think we need to dispense with the term equality. I think we need to stop talking about equality. Now, let me explain to you why I think that. Um, first of all, uh, so my experience of living in Tanzania um, has been that Tanzania is, like most of the world, is not an egalitarian society. It's not a society that talks that much about equality. In fact, it's a hierarchical society, and most people in Tanzania will proudly tell you that they are a patriarchal society. Um, and they mean that positively. They, they do not view equality as necessarily good. Um, they often view us as chaotic and disordered, and they view hierarchy, I mean, we tend to think of hierarchy as, you know, the people up the top oppress the people down the bottom. They tend to talk about, well, hang on, when this works, the people up the top care for the people down the bottom. And there's a kind of a reciprocity to it. Um, now, whatever you think about whether hierarchy is or isn't good, and I understand that's a big ask for Australians, we're very egalitarian. Um, but um, if you think about it from a kind of majority world perspective, if we come at it and we say, in order for women to flourish, we need to have equality, what that often sounds like is, in order for women to flourish, you have to stop doing your cultural things and start being Western, start being like us, start doing things in terms of equality. And I, I think what that does, it just cuts the rest of the world out of the whole women flourishing discussion. Um, and so I, I, that's why I'm kind of suspicious of the equality term. But also I think as Christians... You know, we believe in an incarnating God who comes and who is able to, to um, be and, and to express truth and, and cause people to flourish in every culture in the world. God doesn't only come into some cultures and able to work in those cultures. Um, Jesus incarnates himself into every culture. And I think that means that we have to say that with all these different cultural ways of relating to each other, that God is able to be present there for dignity and flourishing. And so um, when it comes to uh, any of these things, I think this is something that Christians bring, right? That we say, you don't actually have to be Western. There are kind of different cultural ways of expressing that. And so when, you know, in the new creation, when we're all gathered around the throne, I don't think it's going to be that we're all looking like one particular super culture, but that actually we're going to be in all of our different 
cultural manifestations that we're all going to be in all those different ways of relating still able to worship God together. So I think that's something that Christianity brings to that discussion. Um, so that's kind of that idea of, hang on, let's actually do dignity and flourishing in a way that involves the whole world, not just us. But then I think the other question about equality is just not sure how well it served us in the West either. Um, that often that is the kind of terms on which we've had the discussion about about women. But the whole thing with equality is, you know, it's bringing everyone to the same kind of level, which sometimes sounds like, oh, well, you know, men have got to come down a level. No one thinks that's a good idea. Everyone thinks that sounds kind of mean. Um, or we bring women up to men's level. But even if we're doing that, it kind of makes men's experience of the world the default that we're all trying to get to. And I feel like, I don't want to be a pseudo-man, thanks very much. Um, I'd much prefer to be, you know, a, a valued in all of my uniqueness. And so I think we've actually got to think a little bit more creatively about that. Um, and, and I think that the Christian vision is bigger than just let's get to equality. I think, I think that's why I want to talk about dignity and flourishing. And so instead of questions like, um, are women equal here? I think better questions are things like, um, are women valued here? Are they heard here? Is this a place where they can expand and, and grow their gifts? So I, I don't know what the rest of the panel think. I don't disagree. Um, I think equality can be an unhelpful term, even like even in the West, because it's a very rights-based framework. So the idea that you know um, equality is something to kind of you know put yourself forward to, and you think we just preached on it recently, didn't we? Jesus, you know, Jesus didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped. Um, and so I love the language of flourishing and dignity and of saying it's not about finding, you know, this is the standard that some mythical, you know, default, I don't know, top powerful white man in the world has and everybody else should be brought up to that. Um, because the other, th sorry, the other problem, tangent, equality could just mean we all have to go down, right? Like we could all be equal and all be terribly off. That's equality. And that's not the goal of God, <laughs> that we'd all be downtrodden. Um, so I, I do like that kind of challenge to that language and saying actually God is interested in us flourishing um, and not about grasping our own rights but actually uh, finding opportunities to lift one another up. Um, but in terms of getting practical, I think, with the question, what does that look like for me? It might not look that different in some ways. I think um, collectively one of my answers would be in the, like in, in the spaces I work in where asking the questions like what are the kind of structural and systemic barriers um, that have been assumed to be for this kind of default mythical person who fits the standard, which isn't most men, let's be honest, right? It's just like some presumed person, um, male, but not female, but also white, but also of a particular age and background and experience and, you know, um, family background, all those kind of things. Um, but rather, what are the things that we could be doing to break that kind of default model and give opportunity and, um, you know, provide for flourishing for everyone? So that's probably one thing collectively. And then the other one I do think is cultural. How do we, particularly in Australian culture, where there is this backlash to kind of... Um, feminism that that has been very kind of rights-based and very like I should be able to be up where everybody else is um, and that does get a backlash of people saying well you know I, I, I genuinely sometimes feel for um, you know young men today growing up and being told well you know you're a white male therefore you're the most powerful person on the planet and you need to give up that power and they're going I've, I've never had any power in my life like you know I'm just like it's all these people who've come before me that have had the power and I don't get the opportunity to have the power because of the time I'm growing up in I just think that the whole conversation is not very gospel 
Christocentric. Um, so how do we actually challenge that as the church and say there's a completely different way of thinking about it um, that isn't about rights but is about flourishing and dignity and God wanting the best for each of us and it's not going to look the same for each one of us but whether that's based on our gender or lots of other factors but it is something that we can all be seeking the best for one another and seeking what Jesus would want for one another. What do you think, Nate? So I was very trepidatious about having any kind of response to this question. Uh, however, <laughs> the one thing that I would throw in is that I definitely want to personally, uh, but for us collectively as well, adopt the posture that we've just talked about. And so part of what I would say is if you ever feel like you're not heard, if you ever feel like you aren't in a position where you're able to flourish, if you ever feel like there are barriers or structures or systems that are getting in the way of you fulfilling who you believe that God's created you to be, those are conversations that we should be having and those are things that I definitely want us to hear. Uh, and so part of why I would say that is referring back to something that Uncle Don said last week about how all of us have biases, which is true, but for a lot of us it's not until someone else mentions, did you realise that there's another way of thinking about this or there's another perspective that you could have or another way of coming at that, that we're aware of what those biases are. So as a white male... It's, I just realised, as a white middle-aged male, uh, <clears throat> I obviously have some biases and I'm, I don't know what I don't know. And so it is really, really crucial that we continue to be a community that creates opportunities to be able to talk openly about these things. Uh, and so if you're ever feeling like that's not the case, then please come and have a conversation. How did we do in our 10 minutes? I think we... I have no idea. No one buzzed us, so that was good. <laughs> All right. Anything else that you wanted to add back in as a, a response oh, to I our responses? Oh, yeah, so well, just on sure. the, since you offered, uh, <laughs> on the thing that Melinda was saying about the structural, removing those kind of things and, and cultural things, yeah, I think that is really important, um, the things that we don't see. And uh, just quietly to my Australian friends, uh, <laughs> I do think that um, it's been a shock for me coming back into Australia, we've been here almost three months now, um, and just experiencing the casual sexism of Australia. And I think that's partly just because we um, we joke and we tear each other down and we think that that's affectionate. And I understand it's a cultural thing that is affectionate. I've just been out of it for a while. Um, but I think when that happens to women, it often happens in gendered terms. And so it's sort of, it's hard to just to kind of separate the joking from the, from the sexism. So, and I just, I think that's something for us, yeah, just that I've noticed and I think I'm not necessarily against joking, but I think we've got to work out how we do that in a way that isn't sort of making someone's gender the butt of the joke. Yeah. Very good. Thank you. All right, next question. How does Adam and Eve and sin entering into the world fit into everything with evolution? Does sin entering the world also mean diseases entered uh, the world? Is that the same thing? So again, nice, easy one. And Melinda is going to kick us off with this one. Yes, again, I feel like it's a very specific question that's probably part of a larger topic and I'm not sure I have a, you know, well, this is Q&R, not Q&A. I don't have an answer to that specific question, but a response to the kind of general topic. I think it's really asking um, about how we read the Bible uh, and the kind of the stories we tell. So the Bible is a true story. It's the story of God. Uh, and is you know given to us for instruction and for understanding and for living in response to. 
Um, but we also have other sources of knowledge. And God has gifted us to use our brains and, you know, collectively throughout the history of humanity, like, man, the things that we've done. Do you ever sometimes stop and just, like, look at what humanity has done and go, wow, like, people 200 years ago would be amazed that I'm sitting here talking on this device to, you know, someone on the other side of the world and I can see them. Like, it's kind of amazing, the collective power of the human brain. Um, so how do we learn from that as well and how do we hold those two things together? Um, and so for me, it's about understanding this, the place of the scriptures. And for me, as a Christian, I would say the scriptures are the source of authority. They are, you know, they are the filter through which I read everything else. All those other sources of knowledge speak into that. But I want to hold the scriptures in their rightful place. But I also want to read the scriptures well. And so when it comes to Genesis in particular, those first few chapters of the Bible, sometimes they've been read in a way as if they provide one kind of truth and source of knowledge when I'm not sure that they do. So the context they were written into, there was stories being told, like alternative views of how the world came to be. And it's very clear that the first few chapters of Genesis were written to correct that and to say, no, actually, this is, uh, this is an understanding of, you know, this is God's truth about uh, why the world is and who is, you know, in, in control and who uh, we respond to in creation. So the questions of why and who were really important in the writing of those chapters. I think what's happened over the last 150, 200 years uh, is we've tended to, to look at those chapters and ask questions of when and how, and that's really distracted us from understanding the, the truth that they're, uh, they're, trying to, they're trying to teach uh, predominantly. And so how do we hold those two things together when we say there's other sources of knowledge in terms of science and evolution that give us answers to some of those when and how questions? How do we hold that with the scriptures well? I think that's what the question's kind of getting at. That's how I'm reading it anyway. Uh, and so what do I do with that? I think there is a place to hold those two stories together. But again, I want to be careful that I say what is revealed to me in God's word that kind of has to be the lens through which I interpret all those other stories. I'm not a scientist. I'm not an expert. I can't judge, you know, those stories in, this, in you know, in the same way but I know there are some things that are true uh, in what the scriptures teach that have to be how I interpret and understand what science is teaching me for example or what any other you know methodology of learning and gaining information about the world sociology or feminism or anything uh, and so when it comes to Genesis I think there are some really core non-negotiables there is a God is the claim of the scriptures. And so any theory or story, no matter where it comes from, a source of truth and information that, that starts without a God, I say, well, I, I can't, you know, I can't hold those two things together. I have to put the filter of the scriptures that say there is a God and hold whatever other story is being told to me in that light. And so there must be room uh, in this knowledge that you're, you know, giving me for God. Does that make sense? Um, but there's much more than that. It's not just that there is a God. It's that God has created us or that God has uh, initiated relationship with, with us, that God has made himself known, that God has spoken. The kind of God that God is and the purpose that God has for the world is core um, to the story that Genesis is trying to tell. So again, whatever other story I want to hold with that has to be held in light of that, that says God's purpose, um, God's character must, you know, must, I don't want to use the word, become above that because it's not a yeah but you know what I mean like must be the filter through which I see that I also think there's things about humanity that are non-negotiables for me in the Genesis story that the the scriptures say that we are created in the image of God and that that means that every human being has worth and value and dignity and it also means that every human being has a purpose and is created to reflect God to the world and respond to him any other source of knowledge and information and story that is being told must for me come in light of that 
I have to hold that truth above anything else. Any story that people are telling me that, that you know, says there's no place for uh, worth and dignity or that humans are just dispensable or humans are, you know, just like animals and there's no difference. I, say, I, I can't hold that uh, alongside the scriptures or under the scriptures because um, the most important thing is God's image in us giving us our worth, dignity, value and purpose. Of course, the question... <laughs> actually come back to the question it's actually about sin and brokenness and this is where there is a real tension point because again i think one of the non-negotiables of the biblical story and when i say story i don't mean made up but i mean a way of explaining uh, and helping us understand who we are and where we find ourselves in this world that god has um, given us one of the non-negotiables is that there is a brokenness in the world that there is, there, there is sin, that individual people have responsibility for the decisions they make, but also that the world is not as God intended it to be, that the choices that humanity has made have caused brokenness and therefore there is a need for reconciliation and restoration of all the things. I personally think that's actually fairly obvious just from living in the world for five minutes, that there is brokenness in the world. But again, if there is a story being told... Uh, a, you know, a different source of knowledge that is saying there's no place for that. Actually, humanity is inherently good and we're all getting better and there's nothing wrong with the world. You know, I, I think, well, I can't hold that in light of the Genesis story. So I feel like I've said a lot of words very quickly. But, um, yeah, that's my attempt to kind of respond to it, to say, like, I, I think probably on this panel we might hold slightly different views. I probably do hold a more traditional view of understanding of Genesis and yet I say I recognise I'm not smart enough <laughs> to actually understand all the scientific knowledge that other people have gained throughout you know, the last thousands of years and I want to listen to that and hold it well but my primary focus is what is it that the scriptures teach me about who God is, about who I am, about who we are and about what the purpose of this world is and those kind of sit above my understanding that comes from anywhere else. What do you think? <laughs> <laughs> well, I think I would throw into the mix in terms of when we talk about sin, <coughs> we often... Sorry? didn't even get to diseases, sorry. No, that's fine. I'll throw something in about that. <laughs> um, when we talk about sin, we often talk about the original uh, version of the word sin is the, the idea of missing the mark. And we've talked before about how we can think about that from an archery context, uh, that the goal of us is hitting the bullseye, and any time we miss the bullseye, that's missing the mark, which is what sin is. And so the question is, what's the bullseye? And one way of articulating that is to love perfectly 100% of the time. And so a part of the reason why uh, I would say did sin enter into the world at the same time uh, as we were created, whatever that ends up looking like, um, is yes, because God created us uh, to be people of love and love always involves choice. If we didn't have the choice to say yes or no to love, then we just become robots and we don't have an option of being able to have what God really wants from us, which is a relationship. Now, we often talk about that in the context of are we loving God as perfectly as we can and are we loving other people as perfectly as we can? And if we don't, then that creates brokenness. Uh, but this is where I think the disease one is interesting, and I'm cautious to say this because there are exceptions to this. But as we think about what love looks like, there is also an element of us being created to love creation and to love the world in which we exist in. And a number of the things that we would call diseases are actually because of choices that we've made about how we have treated the environment or about the sorts of things that we eat or the sorts of things that we put on our skin or a whole bunch of things like that. 
We need to be careful there because there are also a whole bunch of other questions about, yeah, but what about diseases that aren't caused by any of those things? Uh, and that leads to questions about suffering and where's God's place in all of those things, but no one asked that question, so I'm not going to respond to it. <laughs> I was just going to say on, the, on particular like, diseases like that, the, it's a, I think very culturally Western to think very individualistically about sin and so to think that, and we also think very causally so, like, sin is what, you know, when I make bad choices, diseases, well, you know, I didn't cause them all, the, natural disasters. I do think that the, um, the worldview of the scriptures of the, to whom it was originally written, and perhaps the worldview of many other people around the world today, is quite different and just sees it all as a piece. And it's not so much about pinning down the causes of where did that, you know, what caused that one and what caused that one, of actually looking at the consequences mm. and effects of them and saying we live in a world in which all of these things, sin, um, death, Right, the decay, the idea, like there's heaps in the Old Testament about decay. Like one of my favourite things about Leviticus is that it puts bleeding and mould and death like into the same category and that blows my little Western mind uh, because they're all of the same kind of thing that God's intention for the world and his purpose has kind of been cut across by, by us, by humanity, and God is seeking to restore and redeem and renew all the things. Uh, and so it doesn't really matter whether, you know, in, in one sense, which cause of which thing, they're all a part of what God is seeking to redeem and restore. And that's the kind of the biggest story that we hold on to. Um, that absolutely uh, coheres with my experience of kind of um, majority worldview as, it, as it's expressed in Tanzania. And I think then the question is, yeah, much less interest in cause and much interest, not even necessarily in the consequences, but in the question of who's the saviour. Right. That's, that's what people are looking for. Where, where's our deliverer? Yep. And, of course, in, in Tanzania, the, que- the question is, is there a God greater than the Christian God who you might want to go to instead? Yeah. And, and so for, for Christians, the, the thing that they're constantly uh, saying is, no, there's, there's no God other than this God who can yeah, bring redemption. That's so good. And to our detriment in the West, I think sometimes it becomes a question of where was it caused? And if we can figure out the cause, then we can fix it and we don't need God. And that becomes our kind of default posture which is equally unhelpful as looking for another good nice mic drop to finish that one on so uh if (laughs) this was your question or that triggers other things as we said we're not expecting that we can answer all of it i'd love to have some more conversations with you so next question final question that we're going to respond to today drum roll please All right, how do we know what customs, practices, and celebrations, such as Passover, having hair covered, cohabitation, etc., God would want us to keep and honour today? So I'm going to kick us off uh, with this one, and uh, I would say that we start this one with Jesus. Shockingly, I know ultimately that's where we bring a lot of things back to, is Jesus. That for us, when we think about what are the practices and the customs and the things that we want to embrace, our beginning point is always Jesus. So we look at Jesus and we look at what Jesus taught, but we also look at what Jesus modelled for us and say that's our starting point to take our cues from that because we are people who believe that we are to follow Jesus and apprentice ourselves after Jesus, which means that we should do the things that Jesus did. So some of the things that we encourage on a regular basis, like prayer, like engaging with scripture, like we've talked about recently around Sabbath, uh, even practices like fasting, we would say Jesus teaches on these things and Jesus models these things for us. And so we would say those are really, really helpful. And so we want to start there rather than starting with uh, practices that we find in the Old Testament 
or even practices that we find in the rest of the New Testament. We begin with Jesus. But then we want to also ask ourselves the question, why is it that I feel like this thing is something that's important for us to be able to do? Because if we believe that Jesus' life, death and resurrection is enough to make us completely right with God, with all the rights and privileges that come with that, which is what we believe, just in case you were unsure, then that changes the reason why we do any of the things that we do. Uh, And I have always said that if we don't believe that Jesus coming as God in human flesh, living a perfect life, dying a sacrificial death, and then coming back to life, if that's not enough to make us right with God, I'm not really sure what I've got to offer (laughs) to go above what Jesus has offered in that. So I do think that we can say with confidence that is uh, what we've been given. So we don't do any of the things that we do out of a sense of obligation out of a sense of, I have to do this because if I don't do it, then there's either going to be a significant consequence and I'm going to get punished, or I have to do these things, otherwise God's not going to look kindly on me. We have to start by recognising Jesus has done more than enough, so why do we do these things? And I think we do a lot of them to be able to enter into the reality of what we believe is true. So we pray, we read scripture, we practice Sabbath. We do a whole bunch of the things that we do so that we can have a tangible experience and encounter with the reality that Jesus is enough and Jesus has done enough for us. And so we choose to do that rather than feeling like we have to do that. So where this then can lead us is to say, well, why do anything? Like, doesn't that mean we've been given complete freedom and we can just live our lives however we want? Again, very Western mindset. It's all about me, so now I can do whatever I want, I'm free, isn't that really, really great? Um, and Paul has some really helpful things to be able to say on this. Uh, so in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 23 and 24, Paul says, You say, I'm allowed to do anything, but not everything is good for you. You say, I'm allowed to do anything, but not everything is beneficial. Don't be concerned for your own good, but for the good of others. And Paul is writing this in the context of a similar question. He's wrestling with some stuff around food laws. So people saying, okay, the customs that we've had for a very long time around food and what we are and aren't allowed to eat, do they stick around or don't they? Because you seem to be saying, Paul, that we're good to do whatever we want, so that means I can eat whatever I want, party on. And Paul says, yes, technically that's true. You can do anything, but you need to ask whether it's good and beneficial And not just for you, but whether it's good and beneficial for the people around you as well. So pulling all that together, for me to wrestle with this question, whatever that looks like, I would start with that question, why am I doing this? So if I feel like there's something that I'm feeling a sense of pressure around or a sense of like, oh, I'm probably supposed to do this, I'd start with the question, why? And if it's any version of, because then I think that God is going to punish me if I don't, or God is going to do something really good if I do, then I'd say there's a bit more work to do, let's go back to Jesus. But if we're in a healthy place around that, I would then say, well, is it something that's good and beneficial for me? So I can do whatever I want, but some things that I would want to do are not necessarily things that are actually helpful for me or healthy for me, and some things in particular don't make me more like Jesus. And so if that's the case, I'd say, oh, I could do it, but it's probably not helpful. And then I would take that another step to be able to say, and what about the people around me? Is this good and beneficial for them? Or is this going to create barriers for them? Or is this going to stop them becoming more like Jesus? Because if it is, it's 
it's probably not something that's helpful either. That's my initial thoughts. Um, sure. Um, yeah, bouncing off that, I think um, I love, again, that you put group, that whoever's asked this question, group three things together that are like, wait, yeah. have those three things ever been put in a sentence together before? Um, <laughs> and they're not bad examples, right? Because I would look at that and say, well, obviously we don't cover our hair, so we've decided not to do that. Uh, we don't celebrate Passover, but we do celebrate other, you know, other celebrations that are kind of connected to it. So Easter and communion have links to Passover. So it's not like hair covering where we're like, we just don't do that. We have a, you know, kind of seen how that works in our culture. Um, and then I, I personally would say cohabitation. I think that is something that we do see as, as God's desire and God's design for marriage uh, hasn't changed and is, is um, you know, it's something we continue to practice today. So they actually fit into three different categories, but why do I put them into three different categories? How do I come about that? I think exactly what Nate's saying, probably a couple of things um, just to bounce off that. One would be that we don't just make that up ourselves, like that it's a collective discernment. So again, really Western. It's great having Tammy here to write, remind us of how Western we're being. Um, but that, you know, it's not just about me figuring out what is right and what is good for me and what is good for others, but it's about us discerning and the role of the church in actually collective discerning what does it mean to respond to these scriptures and these commands. Um, and then the, the couple of things that um, I often think about, particularly in the Old Testament, but I think for any of the scriptures, um, you were saying about what makes me more like Jesus, like that idea that God's intention for us is to be in right relationship with him and to be in right relationship with God means to become more and more like him. You know, that, that's true in human relationships. It's much more so in our relationship with God that God's desire and for our flourishing and our best is actually right relationship with him and the world that he's created and his purpose and intention for it. So a lot of... Um, the things in the scriptures we kind of run through that filter of, you know, how, how is this reflecting God? How am I being like God? Um, how does this practice actually, you know, make God known to me and to others? And then that, that last part of it, the kind of mission purpose that God has for us as his church, as his people, is really clear. Um, there's some commands in the Old Testament in particular that people have debated for years about, like, why did God ask them to do this? Like, why did God say that the Jews couldn't eat shellfish? Uh, lots of people ask that, and I don't know if there's a really good answer. Um, other than the response, rather than the answer is, God asked them to be different, to be set apart, so that other people would notice. And that seems like a really weird thing that God would ask us to just be odd. <laughs> um, but there's actually a kind of a key theme throughout the scriptures that whatever culture we find ourselves in, the church should look different because God has a purpose to make himself known through us and God wants people to look at us. Like Michael Frost talks about us living questionable lives in that sense that people look at the church and go, huh, why, why do you do that? Like, what is it about you guys that is different? Um, and so sometimes it's actually trusting that God's purpose for us in being different to what others around us are doing is actually for his you know, bigger purpose of mission and kind of trusting that it's not just about me individually, but it's actually about God's purpose for the whole world. Oh, I don't have a thousand things that I want to say about that. Um, yeah, I sort of agree with everything you said, and uh, and also Nate. And um, yeah, I think the the thing about living differently is an interesting one because you've got to be careful that that doesn't tip over into a kind of self righteousness of look at how you know how well we're living in comparison to you lot, um, and which is why sometimes it's sometimes some of those things are just sort of weird things that bring your status down rather than up. Yes. Um, and yeah, and I think they do look different in different cultures. So, um, you know, we dressed differently when we were in Tanzania to what 
well, I mean, today I'm wearing a dress that's from Tanzania, but, you know, generally. Um, and, I mean, I would never wear sneakers to church in Tanzania. Um, you have to wear high heels. Um, <laughs> I had to learn to wear high heels on the very rocky ground. I would ground. probably never wear high heels. I mean, you're yeah. not allowed to wear high heels, but you have to polish your shoes within an inch of their life, so they're very shiny. Um, so you wear different clothes. I mean, alcohol was a really interesting one. So Christians in Tanzania don't drink alcohol. And... I think that actually comes from like a, a kind of missionary Christianity thing of temperance and that kind of thing. And so, you know, um, people would be quite shocked by the idea of, you know, Australians uh, drinking alcohol, Australian Christians. And we'd tell them this and they would say, but surely not the pastors. <laughs> um, so, you know, but in... In Australia, often, you know, drinking alcohol is a, is a way of kind of socially lubricating relationships. Um, although, you know, when I, when I was a kid, my dad was a church planner in Sydney and the town drunk got converted after passing out on the church lawn. <laughs> um, and, and my dad was like, what are we doing serving wine at communion? And then he decided that was it. We're not going to do that anymore for his benefit. So it's that question of love and how it works for other people. And I, um, and I think it does look different in different contexts. And the, the problem is when those, like you can do that in its own separate little communities, right? But then the question is, what do you do when those communities come up against one another and what's helpful here is not helpful here? And I think that's, um, that's tricky to discern and it requires a lot of love and and listening um yeah I, just, I, I think the alcohol one is a fascinating example because if you look at the history of the church even just in australia like it's been it's been up and down like we've <laughs> we've kind of been back and forth on it because that is us wrestling with what does it mean to make jesus known in our culture and to be faithful to god and so um i've been reading some historical documents from the 1800s like you do um but the the church the baptist church was quite outspoken against alcohol because at the time alcohol was um associated with domestic violence and with you know like with people who were losing the gambling like you know losing their family's money and women and children who were destitute on the streets and you're like of course they were against alcohol right like this was them standing up against the terrible things that were happening to the most marginalized people of their time and saying we don't want to be associated with with that we want to live in a different way um and then you've had like say again practice of like not having alcohol for communion um often came out of people who were recovering alcoholics and saying that it's just really unhelpful for them to come into church and us to have these little glasses so why wouldn't we all give up our freedom um and then as you say today in our culture i still think there are some you know this massive abuses associated with alcohol that we as australians probably don't see uh as much and yet there is also this kind of social um sense of it being a part of how we connect and how we relate to people so we're really living in this kind of tricky balance of saying it's not black and white it's not about earning favor with god but how do we live in right relationship with god reflect him and live in a way that is you know um, pointing people to him yeah and just to add about that um on tanzania so like you're saying um part of the reason why christians um issue uh, drinking in tanzania is because yeah it's associated with all those things you're talking about and alcohol is and this, and drunkenness are basically the one thing so they don't have this kind of drink in moderation thing i mean in australia do we really have a drink in moderation thing like let's be serious about that i think that we're kidding ourselves sometimes when we when we think that we're doing it not that it's not possible and with god all things possible but um yeah i think i think there are like you say um it it is like framing it in terms of love and, in, and framing it in terms of okay this is a particular thing that's happening which has these consequences and so what do we do about that how do we think about that and it'll go up and down in our society how we 
think about it, which is, of course, it always should, right? We should always be thinking, how can we continue to, to contextualise this and respond in ways that are appropriate uh, for, for where we're at today? And I think Jesus would be doing that too. Yeah, it's a great place to land it. And I think it does remind us of the importance of us having these conversations together. That at the end of the day, as we've already said, uh, where I might land on something might be different to where you might land and you might land. And even in different seasons, based on different people that are around, there are all sorts of different decisions that we might make. So uh, the challenge for us is not to say what's the one-size-fits-all answer to this, but it is what are we sensing right now and to recognise that we sometimes get that wrong. That's why it's great to come back to Jesus and recognise there's forgiveness, but we then pick ourselves up and say, okay, what does it look like for us to continue to be more like Jesus and move forward together? So uh, that one, if there are more conversations to have around that, very, very happy to, based on any of those, uh, but also uh, anything else that you would like to talk about. etc. exactly, the etc. So that is where we're going to uh, wrap up our Q&R. Uh, let's give them a big hand. Thank you very much. I'm going to pray and uh, then I'll invite the team back up and we're going to sing a song to finish up this part of our gathering together and then move out into some coffees to be able to have some more conversations, including any of the things that we've talked about this morning uh, or anything else. So let's pray. Jesus, we are really, really grateful that ultimately uh, we find so many of the answers that we're searching for in you. And uh, if we peel back the layers enough and if we ask enough why questions about why things matter, uh, often they do end up stumbling back to you in one form or another. And so we are so grateful for who you are. We are grateful for what you have done for us. We're grateful for your incredible and powerful teaching. Uh, but even more than that, we're grateful that you came to be one of us. So you know what it's like to live in this world. You know what it's like uh, to try and do that dance of balancing how to engage with people where they're at, um, but also be different and to stand out and to uh, advocate for the way of life that we were created for. And so we're so grateful that we can consistently come back to you. Uh, and as a church, that is our heart's desire, is that we would continue to model you as we then stumble forward trying to work out what it looks like uh, to be your hands and your feet and your mouthpiece and your ears and your eyes uh, in this world uh, with all of the challenges but with all of the beauty that is a part of it. And so I pray that the things that we have talked about today uh, would be helpful for us to continue to have some things to think about uh, but also that you would continue to trigger great questions in us uh, that enable us to continue to be sharp, to continue to engage with our culture, uh, to continue to grow, to become more like you. We pray all these things in your name. Amen.